laugh at this next part. In a world of political correctness and cancel culture, two comedians have risen up to prove that with the right angle, anything can be funny. This is You Can't Laugh at That. Who writes these? Huh? You should have this person locked up and looked at. Live from Golden Ox Studios in Cleveland, Ohio, it's Steve Mers and David Horning on this week's episode. Write what you feel is like honest to how you feel about it. You know, some of the jokes, they, great jokes, I feel like originate from emotionally true places. And so like, you know, to every good joke, there's at least an emotionally true place of like frustrated or annoyed or angry or, or joyful. So it might be behoove you to not strictly feel like you need to write the punchline so much as write out the emotion and maybe the punchline will, you know, will follow that. Because you're not trying to be funny. You're trying to uncover like your actual thoughts about it in a way. That... And then the funny will probably follow. Hey, this is David from You Can't Laugh at That. Hey, if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, and if you found value in any of the episodes or you've laughed even once consider joining our patreon at patreon.com forward slash you can't laugh pod now these conversations we have with all these awesome comedians typically last about two hours so there's so much footage we have to cut from every single episode and we hate that we have to cut it and we don't want it to disappear into the ether which is why we edit it together into exclusive clips some episodes they're 15 minutes, a half hour of extra footage. Other episodes, it's a little bit shorter. Either way, if you enjoy listening to You Can't Laugh at That, join our Patreon for exclusive access. And thanks for listening to our podcast and supporting comedy because no matter how weird times get, remember that you can laugh at that. Welcome to You Can't Laugh at That, the podcast where we take topics you can't laugh at, and we find ways to laugh at them in the never-ending quest to prove that anything can be funny. Today, Steve is with us from his couch. Steve, hello. Hi. All right. Good talk. (laughs) Also joining us from, you're you're near Kansas City, whereabouts right now? Uh, uh, You know, I'm technically in Leawood, Kansas. Beautiful Leewood. I'm sure that means a lot to a lot of people. Yeah, there's going to be one person that's listening to this that's like, I know that place. Yeah, yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> Lee it's, Hood, uh, we call it. It's uh, Brett Raybould. Um, Brett is a New York City comedian, just released an album. Uh, this is technically your second album, but it's your first purely stand-up album. Um, this is true. <laughs> Brett yes. Raybould retires from comedy. It's on YouTube, it's on Spotify, it's on all the places that you can find. Go check it out. Yeah, we got a video version of it. It's an hour special. And then uh, there's obviously the Spotify version, which has some bits not on the hour special. Hell yeah, got plugs in early. Hell yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great (laughs) album. Um, That's all I came to do. I'll I'll check you guys later. (laughs) Yeah, good talk. (laughs) Got the plugs in. Got the plugs in. Why am I here? Yeah, why did we... (laughs) That's like putting the the comic that brought the most friends first in the lineup. (laughs) Now they're all gone. Great. (laughs) 
No, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of mm-hmm. course, man. And uh, today we are going to talk about weddings, the thing that we all have an experience of. We've all been at a wedding and had the thought at some point, like, oh, this is this is weird. You can't bash somebody's wedding to them, <laughs> like ever, <laughs> you know? It's yeah, like, yeah. The me- this is the best day of my life. So <laughs> yeah. the, the ability to kind of like uh, talk about the fact that it is funny and like, even if you were to talk to that person, like, no, no, your, your wedding was hilarious. And here's why. Yes. Yeah. And uh, we're going to talk about <laughs> Brett's bit about weddings. So if you want to introduce the bit and then we'll play it, we'll go from there. Sure. Yeah. The bit, uh, you know, the bit came, it's a bit about weddings. And as it's funny that you're like, you can joke about anything. We're just going to talk about weddings. Like, it's <laughs> like, like, oh, it's not as dark as some of the other stuff, but you know, for me, the bit just came from being a person who that was my life was literally just going to friends' weddings. And there's just so many patterns that emerge as done at every single one. So that's kind of the origination of the bit. It's just observing what I hope are these universal realities about weddings. And that's the thing, you know, you, you, we do cover the dark topics, but there's all there are always people out there who find ways to get offended at things that are totally like innocuous like what do you <laughs> what's the, there's something funny here you can't see the fact that your wedding you, all this money that you put into your wedding and and this is the result that you got that's not funny to you like you're, you're not even you're married anymore yeah you're 100% well I'll talk about how my feelings toward the bit have changed um but uh, you're 100% right that people get offended at anything. Ryan Hamilton, do you know that comic? Mm-hmm. He has a bit, he talked about it even in his special that it's about hot air ballooning. And people came up to him after a show and said, uh, we're balloonists and we just like found that to be not okay. <laughs> and it's just like, oh my God. <laughs> like he wasn't talking about race, religion, sexual assault, anything remote. He was talking about hot air ballooning and someone found a way to get their feelings all up in a tizzy about that. They're so truly, if someone can be infinite at that, huh? They're full of hot air. Oh, got him. <laughs> Zinger. Zinged him. It's like he knew we were going to be here and that's why he did that. So we would get mad. Like, who are you? (laughs) Yeah. So truly anything could be offensive. If anything could be funny, apparently. Well, let's get offended by your bit, shall we? Let's do it. Jeremy, take it away. My least favorite season is summer. And the reason I say that is summer wedding season literally destroys me every season. I went to five summer weddings this past summer. I have three I'm invited to next summer. I hate wedding invitations because they're all arrogant. They tell you the emotion you're supposed to have about whether you can attend their wedding or not. Right? Every time, joyfully accepts. And then below that, regretfully declines. You're like, that's not how I feel. Uh, If anything, you can flip those adverbs to regretfully accepts. And joyfully declines. I joyfully say now. And what does everyone imitate? They refer to a wedding as like, come to the celebration of the couple. Poppycock. (laughs) Weddings are not a celebration of the couple. 
They're just a celebration of the bride and then a Comedy Central roast of the groom. <laughs> if you listen to the speeches, every speech by one of the bride's friends tells her how amazing she looks, how beautiful today is, then every speech by a groom's friend tells the bride what a huge mistake she's making <laughs> by marrying this worthless sack of potatoes. Without fail, you've seen it. Every speech by a bride's friend is always emotional, teary-eyed, breathe super loudly into the microphone. Becca! <laughs> you can see old people in the back like, fuck! You are a national treasure. And everything you do, glitters with And then every speech by a groom's friend is always like, Care buddy, one time Craig shit his pants at an Arby's. So, uh, you sure about that? He's got IBS. Okay, all right. Gonna be spending a lot of money on underwear. Ha, 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 Every time, women have disagreed with me about this joke. They come up after a show, they're like, Hey, Mr. Comedian. That's not true. We roast our friends too, so put that in your pipe and smoke it. That's not an impression of all women, but you know that woman I'm doing an impression of. She shops at the Live, Laugh, Love collection. Right? She's got bullshit in her kitchen that says stuff like, I cook with wine. And sometimes I even put it in the food. And you're like, do you do not roast like Ben roast. If you've ever heard a bridesmaid roast the bride, if you have, the joke she does is always so nice, so light, and so delicate. And she's always super proud of herself. Um, okay. Okay, so we all know Crystal, like, loves white wine. <laughs> You're like, all right, well, here's a punchline. That is the most telegraphed thing. Okay, so uh, let's all raise a glass, or as Crystal wishes, two glasses. <laughs> Meanwhile, dudes, yeah, Chris is an unrepentant alcoholic. One time I got drunk on 4th of July and a Roman candle hit him in the dick. Part of his scrotum burnt off. Proud of you, son. That's his dad in the speech. That's a real story I've heard a father tell about a son at a wedding. What? Why? How is that relevant? You think he would tell that story if it happened to his daughter? Okay, everybody, one time Lisa got in the pussy with a bottle rocket, so... Uh, you sure about that? She's got a torched cooter. All right, all right. Gonna be spending a lot of money on ointment. <laughs> Right I have now. to keep it interesting <laughs> for me by blowing the microphone. Uh, I got to say one thing. I got to say one thing. First yeah. off, Jeremy, I'm going to need you to do me a favor and go ahead and hit like on that video and go ahead and hit subscribe to the channel. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Smash that subscribe button. You goddamn right. I'm always pro I'm in promotion mode. I got a podcast coming out in a few weeks called Just the Plugs. It's where people <laughs> 
I have, this is 100% true. Yeah. It's going to be with Gas Digital. I have guests on and they come on, they plug, and then I wrap up the show. It's going to be two minutes long. Really? <laughs> I have to have you guys on. Going to have to have you guys yeah. on. Yeah. I've got a hundred <laughs> things to plug. Um, <laughs> that's great. All right. So uh, the bit, like, what, were you at a wedding when you, when you came up with the concept, when you conceived this bit? Yes. I think uh, I conceived of it at probably actually my, this would have been my sister Jill's wedding. Um, Cause I had to give a speech. And so it had me thinking of speeches and, as I was writing the speech, it was just like, oh, we all do just, just, we all carte blanche to just say whatever you want about a groom. And then, you know, the inverse of that when it comes to talking about the bride. Yeah, that's, and, I mean, it's uh, so true. The, the, your mannerisms to like elevate each joke too. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's one thing I love about what I liked about doing that bit. And I'm, you know, all the bits from that hour are like, you know, they're, I'm more than happy that they're done and they're retired, so to speak. But um, one thing that was really fun about that bit is it's like, it, it has an elasticity to it where it has core punchlines, like, you know, just like stick the landing on that punchline. But then there are also are act outs that depending on the energy I get from an audience it can be kind of as extended or as amended as feels natural to the energy of the room. You know, uh, when I'm like impersonating the, one of the bridesmaids giving a speech, if people are still laughing at like, you know, the hamminess of the woman, then I'll, you know, I'll extend it because it's just more laughs. But obviously if it's like a tighter room, smaller crowd, the energy isn't as big then I will still have like the core punchline that I can get to. Um, so it's, it's, it was very effective for me in that regard. Right. And, and you take something, I mean, these are people are not public speakers, you know? Um, <laughs> so delivering, you know, these speeches at these weddings, it, it can be a disaster. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. you see the same like nervous ticks, the breathing into the mic, the, you know, the, holding the notes and like shaking. And, and I think that kind of plays into it. Cause if you were to kind of, if you were to make fun of somebody's speech to them, yeah, they're going to be offended because it's like, I put my life on the <laughs> line up there. And, and so you're, you're taking this thing that, that people could, uh, I mean, you're, you're making light of something that was somebody took very seriously <laughs> and it's well played. Yeah, I've had, I mean, there are people, I did put that bit on the old, the old TikTok. I don't know if you gentlemen are on TikTok yet, mm-hmm. but no. yeah, I mean, it's, uh, and I've had, you know, my favorite comment on it. Most of, most people are positive because they like, you know, they get the joke, they like to joke, whatever. But my favorite comment about that joke is someone wrote, they wrote, this is misogyny in its purest form. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Jesus, man. It's a freaking very light observation about the differences between how men and women roast. It's, but misogyny in its purest form. <laughs> I don't, I think you don't know what misogyny is. <laughs> it's like, like I even say this isn't all women like Christ 
Also, I didn't know based I was on doing something story. that evil. <laughs> yeah. Based on so many my true stories. Is, yeah, man. My feel. By the way, I, I did want to mention my feelings about that joke have definitely changed um, from the pandemic. Like, that's a. I don't know how you guys. If you have bits that like. <clears throat> don't wouldn't you wouldn't work anymore at least you wouldn't feel like they come from like a um, you know emotionally true place but that one 100 for me that like the idea of not enjoying going to weddings is like i don't think i could do that anymore because that's not how i feel like i i don't i made me realize like no i want to go to all my friends weddings yeah they're wasting money but like that's the point of life is accruing money and then wasting it on memories yeah I, I think you can. I think you can just reframe that bit through the idea that oh, I can't wait to see a bridesmaid do this, and I can't wait to see like the groomsmen do this, and it's yeah. it, it essentially becomes a new bit. Yeah, I suppose you're. That's actually a good point. Um, you just made me be able to still do it. You know, I put that hour out, and I recorded it last last November, like literally a year and a few months, a year and a month or two ago. And I put it out in a year later in November because I, you know, I felt like the special was meant to be a Christmas special. Um, if you watch to the end, I, you know, I retire so I could pursue a career in singing jazz and release an album called Bright and Buble, which is a cover album of Michael Buble songs. <laughs> it was meant to come out in December because that's Buble season. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but what I bring that up to say, like, yeah, I had been excited about being like, it was fun for me as a comic to go like, oh, I'm, I'm done with material now. Like I now, cause I, you know, I did record it and I'm, you know, pretty proud of it for a first hour. It was fun to be like, oh, I've now I can have thrown away material that I, that I did like record and was proud of it at least at, you know, at the, in the moment I recorded it. I've, I've, um, I've seen comics that will respond to what's going on in the room with a joke that they retired on an album like 10 years prior. And, oh really? Yeah. And, and to the, to the like uneducated viewer in the room, it feels like that the, the comic is coming up with it on the spot and it, it just, you know, elevates the funniness of the bit and like the, the shared experience. I'm um, like Brad Williams it was at hilarities yeah. a few months ago and, and that happened. Like somebody was heckling him and uh, he, it, it was a deaf woman actually. And wow. he had a bit about uh, the, the people do that do the sign language. And I asked him about it. He was like, yeah, I haven't done that bit in like 10 years. It was on my first, it was like his first or second album. And, and just to have those in your back pocket ready to That's go. Fascinating. Like that happens. He probably needed like, just because people are going to be so antsy or scared because it was a person with a disability who heckled, or mm-hmm. I guess there was a moment with that, like having him have that like kind of ace and up his sleeve, probably just took the tension out of the realm. And like you know, that's wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, that's one. That's of those, one thing. They so, go ahead. Sorry, my. I was bad. gonna say that's that's just one of those things where I bet. I mean, that's the part that I remember from that whole weekend. I couldn't tell you about any of his other bits, but that, like, I remember that. And I feel like it's probably the same thing for pretty much everybody else in that room, just because it was, it felt so real in the moment. Did you recognize the joke? Like you had maybe listened to his album and then you recognized him doing that for, or, and you asked him about it or did he just, he was like, I had to just throw something out. Yeah. I asked him about it. 
And, yeah. and he was like, yeah, dude, I haven't told that joke in years. It was on an old album. <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's a great, it's a great tool to have. It makes me wonder because since though that show, I had been in the process of psych- siphoning all of material out. Um, my, what I told myself was that in New York, I don't do any of that material anymore mm-hmm. because New York sets are, would be like, you know, showcase shows where you're doing eight to 12. But when I was uh, headlining or co-headlining on the road with my brother, I'd be doing like 45 and, you know, I didn't have another new 45 minutes that was paid show like that. That was good. <laughs> so I would still have to like siphon some of the material out. But now that there's been a pandemic, I can safely go, well, I'm done with all that material forever because like, you know, it'd feel, I don't know. It just feel weird to still do it. Uh, especially since I, you know, it isn't how I feel. Like you are right. The roasting between the couples could still work. Like that's still just a general observation, but the, uh, like the emotional truth of like, you know, weddings suck. I don't agree anymore. You, you start from, uh, I mean, you, you take us kind of on a journey through the whole wedding experience. So it starts with the invitation. Um, <laughs> did that, did that like, where did that come from? Was that a later edition? And by the way, this is my favorite description of any of my standup ever is you took us through a journey. <laughs> <laughs> it's so pretentious, right? We went on a journey. We, we experienced an entire character arc. <laughs> no, man. It's like I showed, wrote a shitty joke on a napkin, tried it. People laughed, so I kept it. <laughs> but, but I will say, but I will say, you know, it does feel more natural to start a joke. One thing that can be really hard, at least for me, is starting a set. I like trying to start a set by making it not just feel like I'm going into stand-up comedy mode. It's really important to me that it feels somewhat conversational and somewhat, you know, like stuff that's on your mind that's natural to just start talking about. And so I liked having wedding that wedding bit because I was it was always felt genuine to start talking about this because it was something that was very much in my life. Whereas like, you know, another bit I have on the special, be it about I've, you know, the bit about uh, pranking my brother by shitting in a potty training toilet. Uh, like I would try to start a show with that bit and it like it wouldn't work because it's just like so much to start on. But like weddings is was a very nice universal. I don't care what the room is. Everyone's experienced it. And you know, there's like a entry point for everybody into my set with that. And then maybe I can get weirder, more conceptual, more abstract, or just some bits that are more off the beaten path. You kind of introduce them to who you are uh, through this experience that we've all had. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, you know, you know, hopefully a strong joke about universal thing. That's always a good way to start a set, especially when you're a nobody like me. Because like only ever doing shows for people who don't know, like they, they came to the show, not for Brett Rabel. They came to the show for standup comedy, standup comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it was more important doing all those road shows to have 
just a really original but broad. Uh, that was like, you know, my impetus for anything I write is trying to be universal but original. It's like, because I love stand-up comedy. That That's one thing I love about stand-up is like anyone can get any joke if the joke is strong enough. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's really what, I mean, laughter in itself is like, oh, I haven't, I haven't looked at it that way before. I haven't thought about this that way before. And you, you just open a new door that people don't expect. And it's, it's interesting. Cause in New York, like I would hear some comics get up all in their pretense about like, like, you know, they'd be like, Oh, it's like a joke. It compares the differences between men and women. And my philosophy is like, yeah, that's part of life. <laughs> we are like, different. You should try and write like, you know, it's like Brian Regan said, like there are no hacky premises, only hacky punchlines. And it's right. like, if you can find a punchline that's original about something that's well trod over, then great. That to me is actually worth more than writing a punchline about, I don't know, shutters or something that no one has a punchline about. You know what I mean? <laughs> Shutter like, comedy. It's that's- like Mrs. Doubtfire where you're like looking at the newspaper for to make up your name. Shutters. That's a hundred percent what happened. I go, Oh, what's in the room? Uh, <laughs> I got a coffee, but people have made jokes about coffee before. So I got to say right. shutters. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll have you on in about fifty episodes, and we'll talk about your shutters bit. <laughs> you can laugh at shutters, but I mean, it's just that idea. Like you know, you can uh, in itself, shutters aren't funny, but you can you know, if you you have a unique perspective on it and a unique take on it with enough of a of a of a twist, um, you can. Yeah, there can anything. be a great shutter joke out there. For the I, I'm not trying to shit on a shutter joke. I just want to be clear. I'm just yeah. trying to defend some of the place in which I write material, but that's uh, you know those are also I'm if I'm being critical, those are also some comics, and it's one thing I respect about like comics who work in other cities, like like I'd say like a Cleveland for example, you guys have done professional comedy, like you've done shows for people who've paid audiences, and I mean this sincerely. There's a lot of New York comedians who don't know what it's like to do comedy professionally because a lot of the shows are, I don't know if this is interesting. So just like cut me off and we'll talk about Mrs. Doubtfire more. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> Great. But uh, a lot of the shows are just like bar shows and there's something that is a great privilege and honor and like duty. And I know it sounds over the top of like doing comedy for people who bought, bought tickets and this is their Friday night and you feel a real sense of like, Oh, I want to like have done all the work beforehand so I can do good by these people who are giving me their money slash time. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling. I apologize guys. No, no, that's true though. For sure. Right. There's, there's a big difference in, yeah. I mean, doing a bar show, people who accidentally show up at a comedy show, like, you know, you're you're approaching that differently than people who made several conscious choices consecutively in order to, you know, get a sitter for the kids and like, oh, we're gonna set this time aside and this money that I made this week that I worked hard for. Like, we need to laugh. Let's, you know, and then so granted they still 
Go ahead. I was going to say there's definitely a good amount of pressure uh, with paying audiences, uh, especially when they appoint you to do something rather than you. It's, it's not like you asked to do it. Someone asks you to do it, you do it, and then you you, you definitely feel feel a little extra pressure. So, yes, yeah. and that that is good pressure. Whereas, like, you know. I don't know. You bomb a bar show for six people. It's like, well, was that that winnable of a scenario anyway? <laughs> I'm quitting granted, comedy. Yeah. Granted, I, you know, my, I, I think we're probably all in agreement that you, you try every show. I don't care if there's four, three people in the back of a laundromat, you might as well try. Yeah. But yeah. Waxing poetic about a, I don't know. I hope I can do it again soon. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. The good old days. Too soon. I want to go back into your uh, to your invitation uh, bit. When you mentioned the joyfully accepts and regretfully declines, I, I love what you do there because it's like we know what your punchline is going to be before you even say it, but you still generate a laugh just because you're like bringing up this thing that people don't even think about. They get their invitation, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I'll be there, whatever," you know, <laughs> and. Uh, that's one yeah. where I feel like that was like a, it's almost like a delivery laugh. Like mm-hmm. it's almost like it's everyone would know that's where it's going. So I have to like, there's no pausing. Like I have to immediately be the, the joke. The punchline is that's not how I feel. <laughs> it's almost like you have to deliver that quickly. Cause if you don't deliver it quickly, like there's, I think like a delay would have, it would have added this, um, heightening for something that doesn't deserve any heightening. Like that's more of like a quick jab than it is like a, you know, a big wallop of a punchline. Yeah. (laughs) I, I, uh, I mean, I've done, we've all done it pausing when everybody already knows what the punchline is going to be. Like it's going to be this big reveal. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, just you wait. Yeah. Wait until I say that's not how I feel. Give me 10 seconds to act like I'm really gonna. (laughs) I mean, that, that's almost like um, there's a there's a TED talk with this composer and he talks about you can tell who the newer piano players are because they like they go with the beat of the piano. It's almost like a tell. Um, same thing goes with doing comedy. Like you you can tell where the punchlines are going to be by where the pauses are. And, yeah. And that's why I think like that's why you talk about, at least for me, like having a style that feels you know, that good mix between conversational and performative, that's what's like, because you want that with stand-up. You want it to feel natural, but also enhanced, like genuine, but also heightened. And, uh, you know, when comics are like overperforming, it feels weird, especially if they're overperforming for material that isn't there. Like hmm. the, the joke always has to be stronger than the performance. Otherwise, the performance will be off-putting you want a style for me personally, like I want a style that doesn't strictly feel like you're doing stand up and can feel like you're just kind of talking funny. Um, Cause the comics I've looked up to most, it's like Chappelle and Louie and Burr. It kind of just feels like they're out uh, like talking funny. Like they're, these aren't like, you know, strictly delivered material. It just feels like they're just really, the best standup feels, it does feel like they're just like coming up with it in the moment. Obviously we know the process requires endless amounts of toil and working and tinkering, but 
you know, you watch Shameless or Chewed Up by Louie and it just does, it just, he does so well at making it feel like this guy's just talking. Yeah. And I'm sure he delivers those jokes based off like the way, based off the way he feels that day in that moment, rather than, no, I have to be this certain way to tell this joke um, that, that limits you as a performer. You know? Yeah, I think so. And that's like something that, you know, it's weird to talk about, but uh, you know, for the next hour I put out, I, if like, I've thought about for myself, like wanting to, uh, Sounds tacky, but feel like I tell the truth more with just how I feel about stuff and like not, you know, lying for the sake of a punchline. I know that sounds like maybe pretentious or over the top, but I don't know. It's something I've really thought about, like, because the first hour was just me trying to kill as hard as I could, like just straight up, honestly. And then maybe the next one I do in 15 years <laughs> will hopefully be, I feel like reflects my, uh, maybe my point of view or my perspective a little more. That's something that comes with reps too. You know, the more you get on stage, the more comfortable you get with adjusting your material to what you went through that day or, you know, what you're going through in that time. Uh, Patrice was famous for that. I don't know if you've heard that, but Patrice was like Patrice O'Neill for anyone who listening who doesn't know one of the best comedians of all time, but he was famous for never saying his material the same way just because he, he just had a a style where that could feel like it could work that way. And that, that worked for him. There are some comedians who have very, like very manicured, styles that also works great. Like, you know, I think like a Mark Norman is an example of a guy who does really manicured style punchlines. And like, that's also freaking awesome when it's done well. (laughs) It's like high octane. It just depends on the type of writing. I mean, if it's like a general funny thing process or phenomenon they're talking about, then it's funny. However you, you spin it, if you paraphrase it every time and then you've got like, careful writing where it's like, it really depends on, I mean, you guys know this This is self-evident, but I'm just for the audience listening. You definitely have two types of comedians there between Normand and, and uh, O'Neill. Yeah. Yeah. That That's the beauty of, of stand-up too, is everybody has their own unique style like this. You know, if you ask for advice from another comic, they're going to tell you what works for them. You know, it's not a hard rule. There are guidelines in place, sure, but you know you can work within that creatively to figure out where your sweet spot is and like what's most natural for you. I'm all word economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I rely heavily on that because everything I do is short, but it's clustered, but it's short, so it has to be word economy. Yeah, there's no there's no wordiness when Steve gets up. It's just it's just right to the point and it works. So if, well it, if it's not, it fails. Mm-hmm. It's just too. It just drags on too long. Yeah. That's very interesting. How often do you think for your material, are you, uh, how much does it change from the original like core joke you wrote? Almost not at all. Like it's so succinct that, I mean, you know, things will change. Like I'll add tags and things like that, but I'll usually almost some majority of the time 
it is written the way it should be written the first time because any other way just doesn't work because it relies <laughs> on it's like it's like a magic trick rather than a presentation it's like i i need to do it with the sleight of hand just the right way the it, i mean i'd have to show you examples but sure. like some things you just cannot fundamentally change yeah maybe just a little bit but other than that not at all so i have i have deep envy for having material work out of the gate. Cause my process is, you know, my is just shoot a shotgun and hope something hits. Like it's just, it's the inverse. It's like, I, I feel proud of material that I get there. Cause I, I know I went through the ringer of failure on it. <laughs> For me, and it's just, it it's the 0.5% of jokes that are still there. The other yeah. 99.5% of my material just did not work and it can be worked on, but generally it can't and it just yeah. goes away. Yeah. So you have seven minutes uh, about weddings. How much did you, would you say that you had before you whittled it down to what you have? I had probably done like, yeah, 15 minutes of stuff about weddings. And even on that special, it's funny. Cause like I cut, I cut like two or three, two minutes from it. Cause as I'm like listening to it back, I'm like, Oh, I just fucking talk about weddings for one sixth of the special. <laughs> it's like <laughs> I gotta just cut this just for the sake of is this guy just gonna be the wedding comic? <laughs> I mean he's wearing a tux. <laughs> <laughs> he already looks, yeah, he already looks like a best man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's really, really laying into these bridesmaids, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> it's almost <laughs> like you were slighted as a you're you're just like, and these women. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, misogyny in its purest form. But yeah, um, that should be the title of your album. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I, you almost want to go, lady. I have written way more misogynistic stuff than this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you want misogyny? You should see. You should see my joke book, my friend. No, but um, <laughs> and, but and yeah. I, you know, I mean, for me, it's like you have a big chunk and you try and then you you write what you write, you keep what works, and then you try and, um, I guess, chisel that to just add tags, tags to it and have, uh, you know, yeah, you write what you write and then the audience just proofread. So I, pro I probably wrote like 15, 16 minutes of stuff. And then it... it like I would almost be interested for me because I haven't reflected on it to be like, man, the origination of starting to talk about that stuff to where it eventually got that I recorded was you do feel pride because you're like, I started with just like one punchline. And mm -hmm. then over the course of working on the material for, you know, a couple of years, it's like, oh, now, now there's like in that bit, there's like, I don't know, like 15 20 punchlines or like there's like 15 laugh lines and it all started from just like oh i gotta laugh on that and then you know over the performing it it probably felt fun to be the character on stage and that got added to the bit and but yeah i love i think like uh, what i love about stand-up is like i love feeling like i think and this might sound cocky so feel free to just be like whoa dude easy but i think Writing pretty good stuff isn't that hard, but I do think getting pretty good stuff to be great 
it's really hard. Mm-hmm. To me, a lot of the real toil of stand-up is trying to get that stuff that's like pretty good to make it hopefully, you know, great. Yeah, like a lot of the stuff that that I've done over the years, a lot of it's like, yeah, it makes them laugh, but I don't really want to keep it because it's not great. Yeah, like it works, but I'm not, you know. You talk about like you keep 0.5% or something. So let's say you write 100 jokes and maybe one enters your act. It wasn't like the other 99 were, I'm at zero like bomb fest. Yeah. No, yeah, they're, they're they're all just like, they all make people laugh, but they're just yeah. not good enough for me. Yeah, there, there might be some that are decent or like kind of funny. Yeah. And maybe there are some that are bad because that's part of the process. But mm-hmm. like you had some that were pretty good. And maybe those will re into your head at some point and at a later date, uh, you know, you figure it out. But yeah, yeah. you wrote like <laughs> some pretty good things and you just kept the one that was maybe fantastic or I used to think uh, the joke that got the biggest laugh was the best. And I do now, while that needs to be there, I do feel like it should have that strain of originality. And like, you know, there are some comics you can see that can murder, but you're like, this is kind of all tacky or hack. Like there are some hacks you can murder and there's a value to that. But like, you watch maybe it's a service, not an art at that point. Yeah. And you might watch something that like Gary Goldman's working on and in the process of working on it, like it doesn't crush as hard as some people are maybe hacking it up, but the standups better. Cause it's really original and it's like, really like it has material that stays with you. I don't know if that yeah. makes you know no. what I mean, right? Oh, absolutely. No, I totally agree. Gary Goldman was a great example too, because I love him. Yeah, I mean he don't Gary Goldman murders. That's not me being like he just does well. I'm saying when he's working on stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. No, but he was in Cleveland, he did two hours and twenty minutes. And are I'd you be, serious? Yeah, and I'd be willing to bet that maybe twenty minutes of that ends up in his next special. Wow. Dude, that's awesome, man. When when was that? Was that before the Great Depression? It was right. <sighs> It was right before it dropped. It was a whole new hour because he was in Cleveland the year before and he did material. He did the stuff from that album. So he wasn't going to do the same material that he did like a year before. So it was all new. And you could see because you could see him like connecting dots while on stage between bits and making connections because he would like he would start a bit. And then you could see like he would get distracted by something that he said and then he would go into that. And then come back to, oh yeah, like I was saying, you know, and then same thing would just keep happening until he would bring it full circle like 20 minutes later. And then that bit was done. That's really interesting. I think that's like, it's, I mean, it's probably really cool because I'm sure in that two hours and 20 minutes he did, he, it's not all worked out. So it's not all that like, you know, perfected stand up where there are probably like, so to speak, lulls within it. Oh, big Because time. he's, yeah, but it's awesome to watch a headliner that good because- one, it reminds you, it's always nice to be reminded of the process, mm-hmm. even from someone who has clearly, I think, mastered the art of stand-up. But two, just to like watch him still be able to win the audience at later stuff, mm-hmm. even after maybe he's, you know, 
roughly talking about some else that's not really getting laughs because it's not figured out yet. Yeah, you could see you could see people getting restless. Now I'm you know I'm a I'm a comedy nerd, so I'm I'm loving watching the process, even though I'm not laughing at everything they be saying. Tailoring things to your audience too is is I mean that's that's a vital part of you know, whatever topic that you're going to bring up. So in this case, you bring up weddings and it's like, everybody has experience of weddings. What are you going to say that's different? Um, you, you kind of give your point of view, like I'm going to six weddings this summer and that's, and I don't like weddings and here's why. Whereas like a lot of, like most people, you know, I mean, I'm a fan of weddings, but you know, for a different reason, I'm sure, you know, there are things, there are always things to like, <laughs> about something and there are always ways to, to find the negative. Um, and you do that really well, uh, from the invitation to the, uh, to the speeches and the, like the juxtaposition of that is good. Um, Oh, we didn't get Thank to the, you, yeah, we didn't listen to the, uh, the rest of the bit. So let's, let's oh, finish boy. it up, Jeremy. Oh boy. Yeah. My favorite part of the podcast, watching my own stand up. <laughs> Everybody says that. Every, yeah, I'm here just to watch myself. <laughs> hey, hey, hold on. Jeremy still hasn't hit subscribe. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Hit it, Jeremy. Wedding should to celebrate the bride. You know why? They do literally all of the everything for him. I feel like if men were the main organizing forces of a wedding, very different affairs. <laughs> First off, they'd cost under $300. Uh, second off, the invitation would just be a text that day. Not some fancy frilly, come to the courtship of just, hey man, I'm getting married in two and a half hours. Can you be my best man? Dude's friends are chill. They'd be like, yeah man, no freaking problem. Where's the wedding at? And then every wedding. It's at Buffalo Wild Wings, so. I didn't make reservations. I'm not getting married anytime soon, but I know when I do, I'm gonna prank people with my invitations, mess with their heads. Here's what I'm gonna do. Address the invitation to the name of the person and then put comma or current resident. Just, uh, <laughs> just, uh, just throw them off. They're just... <laughs> Is this just for anyone who lives here? I hope they get one random guy to come to the wedding. I didn't know the bride and groom. I guess I'm on their mailing list, so. Uh. I would have loved if we had cut to, you know, the shot of the clip on YouTube and I had just seen Jeremy had already thumbs downed it. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the fuck? What the hell, man? What the hell? <laughs> it's, it's got the blue thumbs down as Mark. Yeah. Like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> you were one of the people that hated it? <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> it's it's a it's a good point i've had that thought i actually started writing a joke about that like oh i'm just gonna dm my friends on facebook the day i get married and then not long after i i thought of that i listened to that episode of let's talk about sets and i was like well someone else thought of it i mean i guess you know we're probably not the only ones <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, that wasn't like no one can touch anything I have ever thought of. Once I hear that somebody had a similar idea, it, it just doesn't feel authentic. Yeah, it depends. I would it would depend on how similar and important to realize I'm not remotely famous. Um, so it would be okay in that regard. But yeah. Uh I know I know what you mean where you're like, it just depends on how similar it was. I you know. 
if you had also written a joke about weddings, I wouldn't be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, yeah, right. Only I can talk about this thing we all do. <laughs> I'm wearing a tux. I committed to it. Okay, so this bit, this hypothetical situation, if men organized weddings, uh, you have so much creative freedom there because I don't it's a hypothetical. Feel- Yes, that is one where like I watch in retrospect and like I had set a date to record it because I just wanted to like be done with it. But as far as like that premise, I definitely don't think I fully explored it. Just like speaking honestly, it's like because I did like two two kind of like, um, you know, it would, what would it cost? And then what would the invitations be? Mm-hmm. I just feel a sense of like if I had had more time and had thought harder about it, I feel like I could have done more with that. Oh yeah. But, I mean, think about the entire process of a wedding. Like you have the the ceremony, like who would, you know, who would preside over it, who would be there, like uh you do the where would it be, the location. It's funny, yeah. PW3. That is like a, a a sandbox that I don't think I fully played in, but you know, that's okay. <laughs> I like <that> <laughs> I mean, if what like Nate Bargatze, for example, he has, you know, he did his, uh, his Starbucks bit and his, uh, reptile museum bit. And then that was on his half hour on Netflix, the standups. And then he had his full hour and he gives an update on each one of those jokes. So, I mean, just because you kind of touched on it in one album doesn't mean it can't be approached eventually if it's like real and, and truthful and honest to you and, you know, when you're doing the next one or we'll 10 years see. down the road. Yeah. Hopefully not 10. We're going to, you know, I don't know when the date will be. I'm not setting the date yet, but I'm going to try and have another hour out sooner than 10 years. Oh yeah. That'll be, that'll be like three albums down the three hours down the road. You know? I like this. Yeah. I feel like after a comic hits the, the almost a decade, it's sort of like their writing can accelerate. Uh, well, depending on who we're talking about too, but I feel like everybody uh, takes a long time to get that first hour. And then after that, it gets a little quicker. Mm-hmm. I definitely, yeah. Cause you're st- like, and in no way am I like, I don't think you're ever done developing as a comic, even guys who've been doing it 25 years. But I will say just from my own personal experiences, um, I'm about like seven and a half in and like, I have noticed I can more quickly put together material that I think is good than before just cause I know my voice better and like I'm a better mm-hmm. joke writer and like, you know, it's easier to put together material when you have some of the skills than when you're starting from zero. I heard Justin say it takes, he said it took him seven years to write his first hour. Um, and then like two or three, three years to write his next one. And it, I mean, it makes sense is you're just better. <laughs> like, I would hope I'm better now than I was six years ago. Uh, not really being a good comic if I'm not. Right. No, I'm married to the first bit that I ever wrote the way I wrote it. And that's <laughs> final. Yeah. Yeah. Um, me glad it, that I ditched it all. Yeah. All that early stuff is, is gone except for really good stuff, but yeah, I'll, I'll bring some of the, stuff back but i mean i was having this conversation last night with with uh with the other comics i'm working with and and you know i listened back to my my stuff before the pandemic and it was almost cringeworthy like oh really yeah i mean it's i mean it it wasn't bad but it's like now that i have this perspective of you know 
a, a little bit of time away from it, I can look back at it and see it from a different point of view and just be like, oh, this is how I would do it differently. It wasn't like, yeah. oh, that was bad, but it's like, oh, that For could be sure. better. That, <laughs> right. And even right now when we're watching a clip from The Hour, I, I watch it and I'm not like, yeah, fucking awesome. <laughs> mm. I, I'm, I'm like, oh man, like, I feel like I could do this better or like, ah, oh, you know, let's get through this part. <laughs> like, it's just naturally how you feel about stuff you, you made, even though you're proud of it and you think it's, yeah, it's good, but you're in no way am I just sitting here like cracking my neck, like, oh yeah, victory lap for old Brad. I'm like, <laughs> I feel like this isn't good. <laughs> yeah. Where did you start out? In Kansas I, or? No, I started in New York. I would. Uh, okay. Yeah, I started like comedy in general. I was in a college sketch comedy troupe, and that's when yeah. I first started writing comedy. But uh, like for stand up, I started in New York. Um, you know, my first sets were in Kansas, but you know, doing like one every two or three, like one a month for a summer doesn't, I wouldn't count that as starting. No. Whereas like after college moved to New York. Cause I, for me, I was just like, Oh, I just want to go there. And you know, uh, so yeah, I started in New York. seems like a feat to get, to get to that point in seven and a half years. Although then again, you've had all that time there too, but it's like, yeah, I just feel like it's kind of daunting. Cause I haven't really, I've all I've done is Chicago and like Detroit and I've been doing this like eight years now. And it's like, yeah, I'm started I was supposed to travel this year and everything got fucked and I was like, eh, but whatever. It, yeah, I think like I became a like, you know, there's a there's a certain threshold good you can get off of like kind of the open mic and bar show scene, like there's like a ceiling. And I think what I've what I at least felt like I really accelerated my growth as a comic was actually just getting on the road, producing my own mm. shows on the road. And doing like professional comedy and like uh, doing way longer sets rather than doing 10 minutes. I was doing 30 or 40 at a time way before I should have had any business doing that much. If I'm being honest, like those early audiences for those, those early 30 to 40 minute, you know, Brett shows, God bless them. <laughs> Might've had six minutes. <laughs> but that's great though. Cause it forces you into that. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah, you stretch so yourself, I felt like, that's for sure. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, stretch myself and uh, eventually, hopefully, I wrote something that could stand for, you know, actually being an hour. But, um, yeah, that like I, I feel like I'm a New York comic, but I also feel more connected with the idea of being a road comic because that's just where I did most of my stuff. Like, is, you know, as far as, like, really growing, like, I'll get some club spots and do the bar shows, but on the weekends, every weekend I was, I was gone, uh, every Friday, Saturday, some Thursdays, some Sundays. And, uh, you know, the road shows when they're self-produced, they're a mixed bag. They're somewhere. Once you've done a show in a city for a while, it has that continuity. It'd be like, Oh, we could sell, you know, 50, 60 tickets into a room that fit 50 or 60, so it was, it was a great show and that kind of took care of itself. But I've, I do, I've driven like 13 hours for a show with two people at it. Oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you know, didn't make money on that one, but Hey, that's okay. It's the experience. Um, 
uh, worst case scenario, you've got material for for a bit. I mean, yeah, and an appreciation for when you do have those packed rooms. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's. I don't know if it's a good idea to move to New York for comedy. I think it is in some ways, but I think in some ways there's a huge advantage to being a comedian in like a mid-major city. Like I think there are, you know, institutional advantages that you guys have that afford you growth as a comic that New York people who start in New York don't get. Yeah. And, I can, I mean, I can do like a 15 minute open mic if I wanted to. Yeah. The, even that right there is like, yeah. And some I've heard like, or at least in Kansas City, like open mics will have audience at it, mm-hmm. which is already way more valuable than open mics in New York. It's just other comics, right? Um, so like even that right there is like you're doing stand up for real people, which is a way better barometer of your material than you know some of your peers watching it. That's yeah. why I, I, I hadn't really traveled much just because we get such quality stage time out here, you know? It's like, it's been totally, yeah. Just behind on networking. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that cut your teeth in a, in a smaller market, you know, get that hour, build your, build your connections, like develop your voice and then hit New York and you start hitting those mics and you're like delivering high quality stuff to people who've never heard of you now, all of a sudden, like, you, you know, you elevate yourself through that scene faster. Probably. So, yeah. Probably. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, but Dan, that was, Dan Cummins is, is an example of that where he, you know, he cut his teeth outside of the major market. And when he got to New York, I mean, he had his podcast, he had a following and he had this, these skill levels there. Yeah. His, his skill was like so good that when he got up at a, like a bar show, people were like, who is this guy? Is he in New York now? I think so. Well, I don't know with with the uh, with the World. pandemic. Everybody's yeah. kind of in a state of flux right now, but yeah, everything's so weird. But hey, <laughs> the fact that you know you're doing a podcast, you've got the the hour out now. Like you're you're still working. Like I noticed you have a video working in Virginia from a couple months ago. Yeah, yeah, that was a. Uh... A, a trumpet in a rural Virginia room um, that, you know, that was, I was proud of that bit just cause that was an example of what we talk about that. Like I know I'm a way better comic now because I hadn't really, that was like the first time I had done that bit and uh, it's already a pretty decent bit. Mm-hmm. And it's just cause my voice is more defined in my, I think my finger on the pulse of knowing how to, translate what I find funny to an audience is stronger than it was right. many years ago. So like, you know, that, I mean, that bid was like, Oh, I'll just record it and put it up. Cause it's not like I'm going to be talking about the election, you know, right. And even a month, but, uh, yeah. Thought. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's, you know, Why are still we still talking over. about it? <laughs> um, You're not wrong. You're yeah. not wrong. What you did there though, is you, you have this universal like truth that everybody can get behind. It's like who I vote for doesn't define me as a person. You know, we can like people that vote for different candidates than us. And which 
is interesting because I felt like I had to do that. I, you know, I talk about um, why, you know, I'm voting for Biden, but I had to talk about in the setup I had to, I think I had to diffuse the tension mm-hmm. by just being like, basically telling them you're going to not like who I say I'm voting for, but then that's on you. It's right. almost like it just diffuses and would make them go, oh, I'm the one in the wrong if I can't laugh at these jokes. Um, and right. it's it's like a it's like a setup line that I think is needed to then have the jokes be received well. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's like, and you know, it's not like I'm outright being like I gotta. I think you just understand how to read rooms better the longer you go. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was a uh, proud of that bit, and uh, they fortunately the audience. I think the jokes were strong enough that it didn't. You know, the jokes were strong enough, and that's the thing. Like, if I talk about politics, it's like I'm not like a like I'm not a political comic, but. You, I try and talk about politics in a way that feels kind of apolitical. Mm-hmm. You know, it's less about like owning Trump or whatever. And it's more about kind of, I think, talking about like maybe the emotions behind a vote and just kind of like the gray of what goes into a decision. You And just in a way that doesn't feel like I'm preaching or one-sided. I'm just trying to do stand-up. Right. You're talking about it in a way that we don't hear about. Like we hear the same narratives over and over and over again. You scroll through Twitter, you turn on the news, whatever it is, you know, you hear the same things over and over. So when you present it in a way that breaks down the the construct of it rather than like, or and like the human behavioral side of it, rather than like the political side of it, it's a breath of fresh air. Um, and, and yeah, it pushes you to be a better comic. Yeah. It's like, I'm not going on the stage going like orange Cheeto, small yeah. hands. <laughs> Uh, yeah (laughs) every time we talk about trump on this podcast (laughs) people bring up the orange cheeto like it's so fun to say (laughs) uh, yeah because so many people use it they're like i'm clever (laughs) oh people do in life yeah like yeah yeah. i would hope no comic would (laughs) no not a not a real comic not a good comic Um, yeah and that's you know that that's the thing that that good comics will do, we'll, we'll talk about the construct of an institution like politics. Um, and as you do in your bit, uh, the wedding, you know, we, we you're so good at transitioning into (laughs) (laughs) episode. I'm getting better at it. (laughs) It's like, I'm like talking about fucking nothing. And you're like, let me figure out how to segue this back into the topic. I'm not going to force it, but if I see, if I see an off ramp, I'm, uh, I'm going to take that. Um, (laughs) Dude, your comedy segues have to be literally ten out of ten, just based off this podcast. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. I'm not gonna. I'm never gonna give myself a ten out of ten in anything that I do. Um, but that's, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's fair. But the the construct of weddings, just like the fact that it began as a as a ceremonial, basically like you can have my daughter if I have that piece of land or like that. <laughs> And let's dress her up and, you know, give her the finest perfumes. And then the fact that we've carried this tradition onward into this like bastardized version of that, where it's like, that is the, that is like peak misogyny or whatever. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that really, yeah, that is misogyny is pure its form. Yeah. Transferring um, your daughter to someone else as property for what was it just like two goats and. 
or like uh, a little bit of political power or like, yeah, a little bit of political power. Yeah. Um, and, and there are a lot of things that social media too, new constructs of the, of the wedding. Like for example, the photo of the groom or, or video of the groom crying when he sees the bride, like <laughs> <laughs> that's one thing where it's like, let's get this guy that's most vulnerable and share it with the world. And everyone goes, Oh, like that's yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now the pressure of being a groom, like a great, I got to cry when she walks down the aisle because I'm on camera. Yeah. Taylor Tomlinson has a bit about that, about like if, if he's not, crying i'm gonna stop the wedding and we're gonna have a conversation that's funny yeah um what what else the giving away the daughter yeah um weddings are expensive too it's absurd how much money you're you're dude wasting uh i mean it's a fun experience and you know you bring together a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds and it's like you know probably won't see this aunt for another seven years but <laughs> One of my friends uh, went to his wedding. They had kegs and pizza. Mm. Yeah. And it was great. Yeah. It was like everyone had a good time. Yeah. That's like no one was like, why is there not three options for meals? And like it's, it almost was <laughs> like everyone should do that. Like he dropped a lot. He actually didn't drop much money. I think. I don't think, you know, it wasn't like he and his wife were destitute or anything. I think they just, there's party that's like, yeah, why not save our money for our house? Right? Yeah. Rather than investing in this uh, this short, this like six hour affair. No one is going to be like, that would have been a good wedding if they had nicer carnations. But. Right. What do you mean I didn't get to take home my centerpiece? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like when I see people with nice cars that rent. It's like, you fucking idiot. Put <laughs> that money into something that actually means something. Buy some real estate and fucking drive a clunker. <laughs> That's how or you be like me and just drive a clunker and be so far from owning real estate, it's not even funny. Well, that's better than, you know, <laughs> that's better than the fucking Beamer. But, you know, I got closer this morning, got the $600 processed in my bank account. So Same. <laughs> oh, it processed for you this morning? Yeah, pretty much. Like yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. it was yesterday. Yeah. Passive yeah. income, man. I'm a business owner. That's right. <laughs> <Let's> go. <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah, that's ridiculous. Um, and, the, and the other thing, too, that I really find interesting about weddings is, like, the expectation of, like, a gift. Like, we're inviting you bring us something in return. <laughs> um, Jim Gaffigan has a bit about like the registry about like, if you, if you don't do it soon enough, it's like, well, I guess I have to buy these people this $400 fork. <laughs> it's always the weirdest thing on registries yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> that is oh a God. very, f- I'm, I'm pro, you know, I'm pro just bring me a briefcase of cash. Right. There you go. <laughs> or bring me a briefcase and then someone else can bring the cash. Yeah. Right. Cash. And then I we'll think Sebastian Maniscalco talks about Italian weddings. Yeah. It's just envelopes of cash. That's <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> it's something like, and then I think his, his joke is like chickens dry. Take 20 out. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, man. it's such a weird thing. I mean, the office makes that joke like two people bring a toaster to the to the wedding or yeah. 
I have, I have a bit where I compare weddings to funerals and how I prefer funerals because you know, a funeral is forever. Like there's not going to be a second one. <laughs> I do not want to buy them a second Keurig. Yeah. That's funny. No one goes to a funeral. think it's going to work out. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Think they're going to get resurrected. No, right, they're not getting reburied. <laughs> think it's going to reanimate. And that's another thing. Like I, I appreciated your invitation uh, segment of your joke. Cause I, I wrote like a save the date bit where it's like, you don't get to save the date for a funeral. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing next August? Because grandma, we don't know. We don't know, but we're yeah. pretty sure she's going to crow. We're setting a date. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just feel like it's going to happen. But, you know, to me, the, these ceremonial things are very, they're like cultish, you know, and nobody ever wants to admit that they're part of a cult. But if, you know, if you look at these construct things, like the the way we do weddings, that's very cultish. Like, you know, the the way we do uh, funerals is very cultish. Like, It's I mean, all social pressure. It's yeah. a, like we do it because we've seen it done. So we feel like we have to do it in that way. Or else you're, right. you're, 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 you're guilted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And if it doesn't live up to that expectation, like people are murmuring at their tables, like, can you believe that they're doing like, they have, they ran out of pasta or like, you know, can you believe that they they didn't get a DJ and they just plugged their iPhone into speakers. Like, what are we doing? Can you believe it's not a, a, a open bar? <laughs> Ugh. That's one of my favorite things to, to write about is like these expectations that we have that are, that we made up that are like shared amongst people. Like, why is that a thing? Why is that? It's all the same. It's all part of the ceremony. And we, you know, you try and like question the actual, why we do it. And then I think when you do that, people go, oh, yeah, that is like kind of absurd that we do that. There's like a fucking wrestling theme music for the woman to walk down the aisle to. Right. Like she's stone cold. <laughs> <laughs> right. More the undertaker because it's usually like organ music. <laughs> <laughs> and she's walking real slow. If only there were like flames shooting up behind her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want her to take two beer cans, smash them together. <laughs> Yeah, you know, pour it on her. That's the kind of wedding that that I want to. I want to go to that wedding that defies expectations on all levels, but everybody has a good time. Like I want that to be my wedding. Be hardcore. Yeah, for sure. And again, that's like that's grounds for material because it's a hypothetical. Like you can go anywhere with that. Yeah, man, you better invite me to your wedding, David. Hundred percent. You'll be yeah. You'll you'll figure. You'll do the music. I don't know. We'll figure something out. Good. You can come yes, up with the invitations. Steve, hold the hold them to it. Say you're leaving the podcast if you don't invite Brett. Absolutely. <laughs> Might be a few weeks, but yeah, you know, we'll we'll cross <laughs> that bridge when we come to it. You cross the line. If you could give uh, a less experienced comic or somebody who heard a wedding joke that they're offended by, what would you tell them uh, to prove that you can laugh at that? I would say the fact that you can't laugh at that shows a gap in your own ability to enjoy life rather than it shows anything about anyone else. <laughs> like a wedding joke is pretty good. And if you hold sacred the concept of weddings, your holdings, first off, holding anything sacred is kind of pointless if you want to know the truth, but weddings, yeah. 
That's on you. would just be like, all right, that's on you, chief. Like, hmm. that's just on you. And if you could uh, give advice to a, a comic that is working on a wedding bit, what would you, what would you say? It would be the same advice I give anyone working on any bit. It's just like, write what you feel is like honest to how you feel about it. You know, some of the jokes, they, great jokes, I feel like originate from emotionally true places. And so like, you know, to every good joke, there's at least an emotionally true place of like frustrated or annoyed or angry or, or joyful. So, you know, if it might be behoove you to not strictly feel like you're, need to write the punchline so much as write out the emotion and maybe the punchline will, you know, will follow that. Yeah. That's good advice. Um, Cause you're not trying to be funny. You're trying to uncover like your actual thoughts about it in a way. That- and then the funny will probably follow. Right. It's like, you know, my, some of my favorite writing advice is Jordan Peele, you know, and he was talking about screenwriting, but I think it can apply to writing standup is just like, follow the fun. Like wherever the fun or the funny is taking you, just follow that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I like that. And then, yeah, that really good writing advice. I really like at least that, for, yeah. especially for screenwriting. Like I don't know if you guys have tried it, but uh, uh, I'm in like, the middle uh, of working yeah. on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. It, it's like there's so much advice. It's like you got to outline and you got to do all of these. And I feel like it's better advice to just chase the fun like oh absolutely i mean isn't that the point it's like you kind of you're kind of focusing on what really has the substance which is the fun or the funniness of it right yeah. and that's what's going to be compelling on stage or on screen that's what you're trying to share with people you know i look at i look at my comedy you know the reason i do it is i want to share that moment of discovery that i had that made me laugh or where i had fun with the audience yeah so it's just a matter of making that connection Following totally. the fun marries well with uh, write what you know. Mm-hmm. I think those two together are really good. Two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cool, Steve. We anything figured else? figured it out. Yeah, we did we it. We unlocked <laughs> showbiz. <laughs> we hacked it, but not hack. That was um, the magic bullet that you're looking for. The good hack. Yeah, we hacked it. <laughs> like, like I was saying earlier, you know, everybody's looking for advice. Well, that is the universal advice that everybody should take. Comedians Gun, destroy uh, <laughs> some, uh, not being funny. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Brett, uh, anything you want to plug? Oh, dude, go watch and subscribe to the channel just like I forced Jeremy to on air. Um, but uh, no, I mean, I got a podcast coming out on that channel soon. I am a publicly traded comedian. That is true. I'm the world's first publicly traded comedian. So if you go to Brett Trade, B-R-E-T-T-R-A-D-E.com, you can invest in my Brett coin. Uh, I did an IBO. <laughs> this is 100% real. I did an IBO, which is an initial Brett offering of 100,000 shares valued at 50 cents a share, giving me a market cap of $50,000, which is, that's a steal, folks. And uh, so, you know, you can do that. You can also watch my stand-up special in Mandarin. I have it in English, but I also had it dubbed into Mandarin. So there's an entire hour special dubbed into Mandarin, including the two songs I sing on it, which are Baby, It's Cold Outside and Come Fly With Me. So that is all I have to plug. 
Sorry, Chinese farmers. (laughs) 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 The city folk will get you. That's right. (laughs) I think it's great that you take these constructs and you're just like, yeah, publicly traded goods. That's me. Like, I'm telling you, I mean, I, I'm I genuinely, guys, jokes aside, I think I'm a good investment. You know, I'm never going to stop doing this. So this is kind of the ground floor slash rock bottom. You know, I think, uh, you know, my talent is outstrips my stature currently. So if you agree, if you watch the hour and you go, okay, it was pretty good or that was better than most specials I see elsewhere. I think it's high tide to buy in. Hell yeah. Five dollars. What's what's. Come on, just start there. Right, I'm the same way. Talk- it's so much fun to do comedy. Like, I don't want to quit. Like, yeah. I have no desire to quit. It's that much fun. Yeah. It's Even hard. though I, I did retire. I did retire, <laughs> which you can find out why on the hour special. I came out of retirement uh, three, four weeks later. Turns out severely miscalculated my finances. But, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I have retired from comedy once and uh, maybe I'll retire again. Yeah, invest in him. It it works. It works so well for Michael Jordan. It'll Is he publicly traded? No, I don't. I was, no, he's not. See, there's one way in which I'm better than Michael Jordan. <laughs> you heard it here first. In New Zealand, you're Britcoin. Yeah, I'm Brit. Invest in my Britcoin. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, I think we've learned here today. Actually, where can we where can we follow you on social media too? Oh, just at Brett Raybould, one T on Brett. Yeah, the name will be in the title of the episode too. So people are going to be. do it. Yeah, after that interested. Definitely check out his album. Uh, and remember that the next wedding you go to or the next time somebody tells you whatever you're saying is misogyny in its purest form, remember that you can <laughs> laugh at that. <laughs> the one guy who was married wasn't on the podcast. <laughs> right. Hey, this is Ooh. it right here. This is the bonus footage. Everyone got stupid drunk. Uh, my brother accused me of cheating on my wife of like a few hours. Uh, Interesting. One of, my, um, one of the people in my wedding party, because I had a few women in my wedding party and my brother's like one of those, uh, those, uh, what, how do you put it? Old school people. Yeah. Purist. He, he was, he was weirded out by the fact that I had women in my wedding party and then uh accused me to my wife and then uh she decided to do a blood oath with my best friend sliced her hand open so point so bad to the point where she had to get rushed to the hospital without me knowing about it so it was an interesting holy, evening holy shit <laughs> that is metal dude yeah it was it ruled it was it, there's more to that story but like yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot of fun. What What is your uh, What is your take? How was your I, wedding I different? A, I have a bit on uh, my wedding where um, uh, the ink on my marriage license wasn't even dry before people started asking us, "When are you guys going to have a baby? When are you guys going to have a baby?" Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I said to my aunt, uh, who had kept just insisting, "Like, when are you guys going to have a child?" And I said, my wife and I can't conceive the idea of ever having children. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. That's a good joke. Special thanks to Gold Knox Studio. You can find Gold Knox Studio for all your podcasting needs at goldenoxstudio.com. 
Uh, hit up Jeremy. He is fantastic to work with, professional. Uh, he makes podcasting easy. And uh, if, you're, if you've been kicking the tires on starting your own podcast, definitely give Gold Knox Studio a look. If you'd like to weigh in on today's topic, follow us on Twitter at You Can't Laugh Pod or like us on Facebook at You Can't Laugh at That and tell us how you did laugh at today's topic or how you didn't. This is all about the conversation, is what I'm saying. All right. Bye.